Well, hello everyone. Welcome to a very special mini edition of Struggle Session. Um, it's going to be a little short because, you know, it's the holidays and we're good socialists, so we're not doing too much work on this uh, holiday when we don't have to. Also, um, we, you know, this is, we're wanting to talk about something that I've been meaning to talk about for a while because it's been in the news. Um, it's been on the internet, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it. I know we usually cover, you know, more serious topics like, um, whether baby Yoda is uh, cute or not or shit like that. But I wanted to do something a little bit lighter for our holiday episode. And so today I decided to, uh, do a special mini episode on the uh, coup in uh, Bolivia, the right-wing coup in Bolivia that I'm sure you heard about online. You've probably made a lot of new friends online um, recently, and I've gotten a lot of new followers who are telling you about how great the coup is. Um, I'm usually new accounts, I believe, but I'm sure they're <laughs> completely uh, legitimate. And I have a special guest on the show, someone I'm very excited to finally have on the show. Been wanting them on the show for a while. Uh, he is the founder of the Gray Zone Project. You can also hear him on the Moderate Rebels podcast. Max Blumenthal, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so Max, just um, first question. Um, exactly how um, did we save democracy in Bolivia? Because I believe that's what happened. Yeah, it's really uh, great what's happening now. I'd really encourage everyone who's watching this to go to thegrayzone.com. Um, that's gray with a A, like G-R-A-Y. And read uh, our correspondent, Wyatt Reed, who's down in La Paz in Bolivia. Um, he just filed a report about uh, what is basically a campaign of exterminating leftists by the right-wing military junta that was imposed in Bolivia without an election, basically the military um, whose leadership were trained at the notorious School of the Americas in Fort Benning in Georgia um, and uh, police leadership that was also involved in FBI exchange programs that the socialist elected government of Evo Morales, the first indigenous president of Bolivia, was kind of unable to reform. Um, they basically told him, you have to leave after right-wing protests, uh, and the Organization of American States, which is substantially funded by the U.S., um, said that he fixed the election without any evidence. Um, they basically imposed this right-wing, racist, fascistic government led by a woman no one had ever heard of before, Janine Añez, um, who had said that her dream is a Bolivia free of Indians, in other words, indigenous people, and, you know, the military is running around hunting down every leftist. And Wyatt was supposed to actually interview uh, one of the few uh, left-wing journalists from a website called La Resistencia, still publishing. And when he showed up to the meeting, the journalist wasn't there because he'd been disappeared and taken to an uh, unknown prison site where he was subjected to really harsh interrogation and since then, he's been in hiding. So that's what's going on in Bolivia. Basically, it's just an all-out assault on democracy, approved by the Trump administration, which said this is you know a step forward for democracy. Evo Morales, who has just been won one democratic election after another, is in exile in Mexico. 
And the New York Times editorial board and the Guardian editorial board both celebrated this coup. So you have liberals and the Trump administration um, celebrating a full-scale attack on democracy where leftists are literally being exterminated. And now what's going to happen next in Bolivia is they're going to go to a fake election where in up until the coup, uh, Evo Morales's party, the MAS party, the movement towards socialism, controlled the majority of the seats in the Senate. But those senators, many of them have just simply disappeared. Uh, many of them fear for their lives or their families' lives. Um, the left is kind of just uh, suffering from this campaign of intimidation. And so they're going to go to a, an election with a gun pointed at the left. And one of the people who's probably going to run for president, we profiled him at the Gray Zone. His name is Luis Fernando Camacho. And he was the real leader of this coup. He kind of brought out the, the shock troops of the coup. And he's someone who headed a youth paramilitary in the biggest city in Bolivia called Santa Cruz, where they literally throw up Sig Heil Nazi salutes in their ceremonies. They're known for their racist violence against indigenous people. And he's led a U.S.-funded separatist movement because he represents the wealthy kind of landowning white elite of Bolivia that has wanted to separate from the rest of the country because the majority of Bolivians are indigenous people who they consider satanic. So this is someone who's now considered a presidential frontrunner because of this scenario. So it's obviously just one of the biggest assaults on democracy we've seen. And if you're wondering why there's a lack of outrage, well, then you should kind of look towards the New York Times and papers like The Guardian and the Washington Post, where they say democracy yes. dies in darkness. <laughs> yeah, democracy uh, dies in darkness or under coups, um, I, I believe, is also another way democracy dies. You were mentioning like the the indigenous uh, people there because I I saw something like really you know fucked up where I think it was a soldier went into um, Evo Morales's uh, old presidential palace and did like a like a ritual like a ceremony to like Christianize it, saying that never again will the like yeah. satanic religion of the indigenous people, you know, reign over Bolivia. Yeah. Actually, that was Luis Fernando Camacho who went in with a right-wing pastor. I mean, Camacho's the head of a fascist Christian paramilitary movement, and he went in to kind of cleanse what he called the burned palace and bring the Bible back into Bolivia. Then two days later, after Evo Morales' home is looted um, by Camacho's followers, after his sister's home is burned, after... Um, police run over his pet dog just for fun. Jeez. Um, Janine Añez, this, you know, just trashy figure who comes out of nowhere. It looks like she's like a day. She seems like a kind of like a daytime talk show host or something. She had won 4% of the vote uh, of the, t of total votes when she ran for the Senate. And she's described as a feminist activist by NBC uh, she comes in with a gigantic Bible into the presidential palace. Like this Bible, you know, if you were like half blind, you would have been able to read about, um, you know, the book of Job because yeah. this Bible was so big and she's screaming that she's bringing the Bible back, which is, you know, insinuating in not so subtle terms that when Evo Morales was president, that he was representing the satanic paganistic religion 
of the indigenous Aymara people who are the majority of Bolivians and, you know, the extermination that has followed of indigenous and leftist forces was, comp- was signaled by this, these, these, these evangelical right-wing ceremonies. Uh, 10 people were massacred in a, uh, at the Senkata gas plant on November 15th. And the day before, uh, 10 people were massacred at Cochabamba. And this is the sort of indigenous resistance of the social movements that brought Morales to power. Every time they show up in the streets, they're met with gunfire. Uh, and every day, new bodies are turning up. Wyatt Reed, our correspondent in um, Bolivia, he went to a hospital to speak to some doctors who had been treating gunshot wounds. And he wasn't allowed in until he saw the doctor's staff, the kind of orderlies, um, they began mopping up blood for as fast as they could, getting all the blood off the ground. And then he went and met Jeez. a terrified doctor. He met a terrified doctor in his office and the doctor said, no, we have no gunshot wounds here. I don't know what you're looking for. Uh, nobody's been you know, hit with any gunshots. And he found that the doctors too are you know, having to basically muzzle themselves because they too face uh, imprisonment and torture they actually go to the media. Yeah. What role is the American media playing? Because what I've seen, as you, as you mentioned, like the New York times, Washington post guardian are lining up with these right wing fascists, lining up with the Trump administration, lying and basically providing, you know, the narrative that they want to be uh, provided where like we're supposed to think that Ava Morales was some sort of dictator who was not following the rule of law, who was violating democracy and had to be removed in order for Bolivia to move forward with democracy. Uh, Is there any truth to that? Because a lot lot of people have heard so many bad things about Ava Morales. They haven't heard anything about him before the past couple of weeks. Um, But now there's nothing but negative things we're hearing about them is any of it true or is this just you know a cia narrative well yeah the, these papers are conveying a cia narrative every day when it comes to russia gate or ukraine gate or anything related to u.s foreign policy uh they basically serve as a bulletin board for the intelligence services that's why you see so many stories sourced exclusively to u.s officials so when it comes to uh, regime change. These papers simply reflexively support virtually any U.S. regime change operation. And I defy anyone watching this to find one example to the contrary. Any of these papers going in the opposite direction when it came to Nicaragua uh, in 2018 during a coup attempts uh, to remove the elected Sandinista government, all of the major papers, including the liberal press, were fully on board. Same with Venezuela earlier this year when Donald Trump declared this unknown character, Juan Guaido, the president, um, you know, we might as well declare ourselves, you know, secretary of state and, you know, minister of defense of the U S <laughs> but, you know, these papers just go along every time and they supply, they provide the Trump administration with space to its left, um, to push these kinds of policies. And then, and, and they basically hoodwink the public by not, providing a voice to the supporters of these governments who represent the majorities of their countries. And so at the gray zone, one thing we've been able to do, because it's very affordable to travel to Latin America, it's very accessible, and we all speak Spanish, 
uh, to one degree or another is to go to these countries and see what's actually happening. Um, and it just turns out to be almost 180, 180 degrees the opposite of what's been conveyed to us in the press. And so one thing we have to look at besides the media is the kind of, um, first of all, this kind of NGO complex that's been set up by U.S. soft power organizations like the National Endowment for Democracy. What these groups do in public is what the CIA used to do in private. They support opposition movements in countries where the U.S. seeks to topple the government. They'll fund civil society groups. They'll fund pseudo-human rights groups to constantly chalk up and even fabricate, as we saw in Nicaragua, uh, human rights violations by the government. And they'll fund media organizations, opposition media. And then in Washington, those media organizations will get you know, big-time awards by the Committee to Protect Journalists. Human Rights Watch uh, is, a, is an organization that essentially, its director, Ken, Ken Roth, he explicitly supported the coup in Bolivia. He endorsed it. He celebrated Evo Morales' ouster. Amnesty International has gone along with the coup in Bolivia, and they're mostly ignoring what's happening now and focused on Hong Kong because the U.S. has massive skin in the game. Yeah. The uh, protest movement in Hong Kong is funded and organized and advised by the U.S. government. So all of these outfits that we think of as just NGOs are not independent. They're part of the power structure that of the United States. They're part of our power projection. And I think they're the most effective because they're the most insidious because the liberal progressive public respects them, and takes, their, takes them at their word. So the gray zone, what we try to do is poke holes in that narrative by showing people what they these what this NGO industrial complex really is. Why Bolivia? Why now? Well, uh, two two reasons I'll point to. In October of this year, the Washington Post, which you know as we know isn't the most friendly paper to the Latin American left, and certainly not friend, friendly to socialists in the United States, uh, reported on Evo Morales's achievements as he and his party went to elections and they concluded that Bolivians are healthier, wealthier, more equal and living longer than at any time in their history. And that his 13 years in power had been an unmitigated economic success that even neoliberals could not deny. So he, and he did it through a mixed, a mixed economy with strong central planning in, uh, you know, instituting socialism wherever he could in what is, I think, the, the poorest country in South America. So it's the threat of a good example. Uh, socialism is very dangerous to the United States, and particularly the Trump administration has shown this hostility to democratic socialist governments. And so they're implementing what I would say is a new Operation Condor. For those of you watching and you haven't heard of Operation Condor, just look it up. It's a plan that the CIA implemented across Latin America in the, during the Cold War in the 70s and 80s to replace uh, leftist governments with right-wing military juntas, authoritarian juntas, and to provide them with support and aid as they liquidated their opponents internally through torture and terror. Uh, and that dark cloud hangs over Latin America. What we're witnessing now is Operation Condor 2.0. Now, specifically in Bolivia... Bolivia has the largest supply of lithium in the world. 50% of lithium in the world comes from Bolivia. And in order to power electric batteries, whether they're 
in your phone or in your Tesla. Yes, the, the Tesla truck. Yeah, the Tesla truck. I mean, the Tesla car requires at least 12 pounds of lithium, which is a huge amount to yeah. power its battery. Uh, basically, lithium is needed to power the Green New Deal, which is something no one thinks about, that the Green New Deal will be a boon for the mining industry. So if you're if this ever goes through, if this AOC plan ever goes through, you better you know invest in mining stocks. But uh, so Bolivia is where the lithium is, and it's also they, they have huge supplies of natural gas. And Evo Morales has worked to um, take that wealth and redistribute it to the public, specifically to the most ignored, marginalized sectors of the public. Finally, there's the drug issue. Um, and we know about the dark history of the drug war, that the U.S. has a role in actually supporting uh, narco gangs. Um, but it also uses the DEA as kind of a tool, an interventionist tool to get its tentacles into Latin American countries and control their internal affairs. Evo Morales kicked the Drug Enforcement Agency out of Bolivia. They had been playing such a terrible role in that country um, and helped vault him to power because he started out as the head of the coca growers union. And coca is a plant that isn't just used to manufacture cocaine in Bolivia. Um, it's, it has all sorts of purposes. And what the DA was doing was literally bombing indigenous people with poisonous, uh, you know, poisonous chemicals in order to wipe out their cash crop. The only thing that was keeping them alive, and he organized them, was elected president, and threw the DEA out. Uh, they want back in. They want a compliant, weak, right-wing government to open up that economy, stop giving the wealth back to the poorest of the poor, and to start allowing multinationals uh, to exploit the natural gas wealth. Now, look at what happened before Evo Morales was in power where his, uh, the person who ran against him and lost in this current election, Carlos Mesa and um, um, Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada, who is a basically uh, barely spoke, he, he spoke Spanish with an English accent when he was the president. They tried to privatize the country's water and sell it off to Bechtel, which is a subsidiary of Halliburton. And then they tried to basically sell off the natural gas uh, through Chile to help uh, supply California during an energy crisis. And the country was left with nothing. Nobody got anything from that. That's what they want to go back to. That's what they will go back to. And, uh, you know, Wall Street will be pretty happy about that. And those Bolivians who are healthier and wealthier and more equal and living longer will go back to the way it was before when they were unhealthy, poor, and dying young. So a lot of people were kind of brought into the Bolivia discourse um, who they were tweeting about it. They were talking about it and they found these helpful accounts were replying to them um, speaking perfect English, using a lot of similar phrases online, um, explaining to them why it actually wasn't a coup, why this was a popular uprising that deposed uh, Evo Morales. So what, where are those people, helpful people come from? I think some of them are real people and that they are, you know, what you would call the Bolivian exile community who leave um, partly because, you know, they despise the socialist government. You have, you know, the same community of Nicaraguans and Venezuelans and Cubans in the United States who are really influencing politics, particularly in Florida. 
um, and really pushing Trump to take such a hardline position because he wants to win Florida. And they're extremely aggressive politically. Uh, you know, they come at it when we had a protest in D.C. Uh, against the Bolivian coup, and we had you know many Bolivians along with our you know anti-war community um, across the basically just about 50 meters away um, across the street from the White House were uh, basically right-wing Bolivians who were playing patriotic songs and holding crosses and declaring that Evo Morales is a, a you know, cocaine dealer and a Satanist. And, you know, they're very similar and, you know, they're extremely aggressive and insulting, very similar to the Venezuelans I've met where we came out and protested the coup there. Um, so I think some of them are real and they organize around, you know, hashtags or they'll, they'll search words and they, they work through different, you know, uh, Facebook groups. At the same time, I think that, you know, there clearly were troll farms that were being operated and new accounts were just cropping up that had never posted before. Uh, that were coming at people and attacking them or trying to, uh, you know, they were tr- it was just so obvious. They just came out of nowhere and they were just trying to propagandize people. And if you would search their pictures through a reverse Google search, in some cases, you know, somebody else's picture would just come up through some Facebook or Instagram page. Yeah, I invited um, a couple of them to come on the show, but I didn't get a response for some <laughs> reason. I'm not sure what the deal was. So, so Max, last thing I want to ask you is, you know, we you were in the news recently. Usually you're covering the news, but you did make the news recently that you were actually arrested for the crime of uh, doing journalism against um, the aims of U.S. foreign policy. Is that about correct? I mean, the crime I'm accused of is simple assault, which is just a complete lie and fabrication. Um, And it relates to uh, what we were just talking about, that there was a standoff at the Venezuelan embassy in D.C. Uh, The Trump administration was trying to hand this embassy in violation of international law over to this white-collar mafia controlled by Juan Guaido, the self-appointed president of Venezuela. And a group of activists and journalists kind of got in the way. Some of them went in the embassy with the permission of the elected Venezuelan government and, you know, held out and they fell under siege by these right-wing Venezuelan extremists. And I was on the outside covering, you know, the events. And also, you know, we were poking gaping holes in the Venezuelan opposition's narrative uh, and really exposing them at the gray zone. So five months after this whole saga, after this standoff, a team of police officers show up at my door and uh, literally, I mean, they literally dragged me out of my house and one Friday morning and threw me in a prison cell for two days. Um, and now I have to probably go to trial. The federal government is prosecuting me and claiming that I committed simple assault against a member of the Venezuelan opposition. They have no evidence. They never will have any evidence that I did that because there isn't any. Yeah. Well, I'm, 
Max, I, as I've said before, I'm, you've, you are one of the people who, like, this show would not exist if I wasn't reading your stuff a few years ago. You did so much, uh, to awaken me. So I, I hope that all works out for you. What you do is such important work and, and great work. And I really, you know, I spent years saying free Max B, the rapper. I don't want to <laughs> have to say free Max, uh, B, the journalist. Uh, so Max, where can people find you? Thank you. And, you know, as they say, each one, teach one. You can find me at the, thegrayzone.com. I'm just Max Blumenthal on Twitter. And uh, moderaterebels.com is my podcast. And we're on YouTube as well. The Gray Zone has a, a regularly updated YouTube channel. So just go to the search function on YouTube and look for The Gray Zone. G-R-A-Y-Z-O-N-E. All right. Thank you so much, man. Peace. Thanks a lot, Leslie. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.